This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Joe and Amber, the podcast. The Daniel Snyder era in Washington, D.C. appears to be over. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson, Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find him on social at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So Joe, Josh Harris, who's an owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. He is an owner of the New Jersey Devils. He has agreed in principle to buy the Washington Commanders from Daniel Snyder for a record $6 billion. Six billion dollars. Daniel Snyder, one of the most disgraced owners in the history of the NFL, walks away a very, very, very filthy rich man. Incredible. Absolutely incredible that you could buy an asset and then we'll call it, I guess it's about 24 years later, you could sell that asset for seven and a half times what you paid for it while being an absolutely despicable human being and being a terrible owner in the process. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. What other industry would that happen? Snyder bought the team May 25th, 1999 for $800 million. 24 years later, he's selling it for $6 billion, seven and a half times the investment. And what did he do to improve the product? Absolutely nothing. The other owners hate him. They are forcing him out. He's not leaving gracefully. He's leaving in disgrace. He has done nothing with this franchise. They haven't been successful. They haven't been anything in terms of uh, leading in the community or in any way, shape, or form. That's not to knock the players or anyone who works there. It's strictly to knock the owner. The owner was absolutely terrible at his job, and he got a seven and a half times return on his investment. That is mind-boggling to me. Terrible at his job. Many allegations of a toxic workplace. You had ticket holders having to sue because of how he handled that. They just settled actually three days ago with those ticket holders. There's lawsuits flying all over the place here over the last few years when it comes to the Washington Commanders. You're right. I mean, the only other industry I guess I could think of that does that is what? I guess real estate? Real estate, you could be you could be a bad landlord and, and a bad person, and then still yeah. you end up making money off the property. And in large part, that's why a lot of these owners make money is because also there's real estate, very valuable real estate involved. So there's certainly that component. It's one of the more difficult things in sports for all of these sports leagues to navigate is that these franchises get exponentially more valuable and it doesn't actually matter how good the team is. So there's only so much motivation. I remember it very well with the sale of the Miami Marlins. It's like, you know, it didn't matter how many, I mean, given they'd gotten a couple World Series, but it didn't matter how many fire sales Jeffrey Loria had and how terrible the product was where they just drove baseball into the ground in a city where baseball should have been wildly popular because at the end of the day they were going to make tons of money when they sold that franchise all of these teams make a ton of money when you hang on to them heck of an investment you and I should get into the game yeah yeah that'd be nice it'd be real nice there's a change you know maybe maybe this uh, John Harris needs you know I got like 500 on it 
Josh Harris. Oh, Josh. There you uh, <laughs> yeah. We're off Getting to a bad start. Getting his name wrong is not going to get him to bring you in on the investment group. That includes Magic Johnson, from what I understand. Uh, did you ever watch the show Billions? Paul Giamatti? No, but I, right, I know exactly what show you're talking Damian about. Damian Lewis. Okay, so early on, there's a, a season where Damian Lewis, who plays, uh, John, uh, plays Axe, Bobby Axelrod, one of the main characters, he's trying to buy a football team. And he wants, to, he wants to buy in. And they eventually shut him down. Sorry for the spoilers. This is like 10 years ago. So they shut him down. And the guy who's kind of responsible for shutting down his bid lets him know that, and I love this line, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not going to do it justice. But he says, when we allow, when we allow people to buy professional sports teams in this country, that is America's way of knighting somebody. Mm-hmm. Like you get knighted over in England. That is how we knight you in America. You are welcomed into the fraternity of a professional sports owner. That's what it is. You're being knighted. And Snyder was knighted at one point, but clearly could not live up to what the NFL and the other owners wanted from him. He was a disgrace. That's why they're running him out. What I find very interesting is I would love to know why Jeff Bezos of Amazon didn't win the bid. Because if you're the NFL, you're taking a lot of things into account when you bring in new owners. One of which is how much power do you bring to the table? These owners want nothing more than to know that their exclusive little fraternity involves the most powerful and well-connected people in the world because they're all rubbing shoulders with one another, right? They all, they're not going to welcome in. Gone are going to be the days of like the McCaskey family with the Bears, Mark Davis with the Raiders, like these family-owned operations for years and years and years, they're going to be gone. You're going to bring in the wealthiest people imaginable. Look at Denver bringing in the Walton family, right? I would have to imagine the other owners wanted Bezos. I'd have to imagine Snyder found a way to keep him out because I don't think Jeff Bezos is getting outbid. So I think what's happening here is he does own the Washington Post. The coverage has not been favorable of Daniel Snyder. Somewhere down the line, Bezos will get in, but it didn't happen here. And I think Snyder, that might be his one last parting shot on his way out the door. That's what a lot of people theorize, that there was no way that Snyder was going to sell the team because ultimately it was up to Daniel Snyder who he's selling the team to. The Snyders were the majority owners of this team. And so they had the control. There was no way they were going to sell the team to the guy who owns the Washington Post who feels like the Post has been dragging him during his tenure with the team. So a lot of people were theorizing that that was going to be the case. Either way, they end up here with a viable owner. And I mean, that's the more important thing this is an owner in terms of at least the majority owner taking the face of this where he has these other teams and other teams that have done well because I referenced there the Marlins sale like the grass ain't always greener it hasn't gone much sure great they kind of improved the farms it hasn't gone much better down in Miami with the sale of that team and all Derek Jeter did was spend five years making back the 20 million that he put into the team he got it all back in salary bada bing bada boom bounced on the Miami Marlins I digress obviously a community (laughs) that I care about in Miami but the point is is the next owner isn't necessarily any better because sometimes there's payroll issues. Sometimes there's revenue issues with these teams, but I do think that there is reason to be hopeful here. Hopeful if you're an NFL fan, hopeful if you are a Washington Commanders fan, because Daniel Snyder in his tenureship as the owner was such a black eye on this franchise for so long. Now you can kind of turn the page on it. You can start new. It can feel like an entirely new organization and a new team. And there is reason to believe that with Josh Harris's success with the 76ers and with the New Jersey Devils, and you mentioned Magic Johnson, some of the other names involved in this ownership group, one would hope that 
that things are going to go much better now moving forward. I mean, it can't be worse. That was the most toxic culture in all of professional sports. When the top is that corrupt, when the top has that little respect for rules, regulations, just common decency, you are going to create a horrific culture. And that's going to trickle all the way down. There's only so much you can do to overcome that level of damage that is done at the top. So now you clean that out and you figure you get some good leadership in, you hire good people, you treat them with respect, you hold people accountable, and you run a business the way the business is supposed to be run. And yeah, Snyder's going to walk away with the profit, but he's not walking away with any wins. If we want to talk about any successes that his little franchise had against all the others, what's the greatest thing he can say? What did they do? They did nothing. His entire run is earmarked by nothing. I think they had one trip to the NFC Championship game back in like 06 or something like that, and they lost, and that was it. They don't go to the playoffs. They don't win a lot of games. They don't win division titles. They don't compete. So if you're a Washington Commanders fan, this one's for you because you've been waiting a long time for this. Some of those young Commanders fans have only ever known. I only ever known the Daniel Snyder reign. And now you can move forward hoping that it can't be any worse, which it's going to be very difficult to top what he did there. And hoping that the people that put up $6 billion into this thing want this thing to be successful, not just off the field in terms of the valuation, but on the field as well. And that's what has been missing under the Snyder group. Coming up next, another disappointing end to the season for the Pelicans. And just like last year, it ended without Zion Williamson. Where do they go from here? Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. The season's over for the New Orleans Pelicans. The season was already over for Zion Williamson. That's a story that we've heard before. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. So the Oklahoma City Thunder, they beat the New Orleans Pelicans in the play-in tournament last night, 123-118. to 118. The Pels obviously lose that one without Zion at the helm. We heard from Zion a couple days ago, Joe, where he said – that physically he's okay, but that he's not Zion, whatever that means. And you and I were theorizing, what exactly does that mean? Does it change your impression of that sound now that you watched a Pelicans team that put up a good fight against the Oklahoma City Thunder, but just were outmatched because they're going to be outmatched. And we're talking about a team that at one point in the season was easily a top three seed and seemed on fire when they had Zion. He's missed so much time that I don't really look at the Pelicans and Zion Williamson as like the same thing. 
Like, I look at the Lakers and LeBron as the same thing. I look at the Sixers and Embiid as the same thing. I don't really look at the Pelicans and, and Zion as the same thing. Sometimes he's around. Wow. Most of the time he's not. That's so when bad. we're talking about the Pelicans, when we're handicapping the Pelicans, I'm just thinking about it without even considering him because he's never around. You know, he made it very clear when he spoke, and it was just wildly. I would love to get some follow-ups on this, but he said physically there's not a problem. So your team's going into the play-in, and physically there is nothing preventing you from getting on the court. But, you know, you just don't really feel like Zion, so you're not going to play. I just, I don't know what to say. I mean, later on he goes on to say he loves basketball, so he tells us he loves basketball and he's physically ready to go, but he just doesn't feel like Zion. I mean, how are we supposed to take that seriously? Well, As a competitor, how are we supposed to take that seriously? Well, and you can't, but also the component of this that I'm not even sure you and I had an opportunity to get into when we heard the sound and broke it down the other day is who's advising him on what to say? Because that's brutal. Like, that's the worst. That's one of the worst things you could say. If you came out and you were like, oh, no, physically I'm not there yet, that would be one thing. To come out and say, physically, I'm okay, but... Oh, I'm okay, but, you know, I'm not Zion. Like, the okay, but is a problem because if you're physically okay, it should be, I'm physically okay, full stop, get back out on the court. I think that there's a problem there in terms of his fear of living up to the expectations that are placed on him, and he is a player that's discussed in the past how difficult it is managing those expectations. And I'm sure it would be incredibly difficult to be a player that comes into the league with the height of expectations that Zion Williamson has. So maybe he's got some fear on that court. If he's not 1,000%, he doesn't want to walk onto it. But the problem here is also telling us that, right? I mean, where is the advice coming from? Because it's a bad look that you are publicly stating that you're okay and yet we're watching your team lose in a must-win game last night. Yeah, they could use you. They could really use you. And being out on the court at some point as a competitor, so what if you don't look great? You get criticized, okay? That's like part of the territory. Didn't you realize that coming up? Has it been so easy for him for so long that now that suddenly he's not the top of the food chain, he doesn't want to have to deal with the the fallout from that or the adversity from that? I think he's I, one of those. I, I mean, just, dude... You're going to get criticized for not playing. Like, that's the worst. The literal worst is not going out there and not playing well. It's it's not playing at all. That's what this sport has become. It's guys who don't play. At every turn, there's a reason why a guy doesn't play, why a guy can't play, why a guy doesn't want to play. He's upset at management, so he's going to fake some sort of injury, and he's going to sit out till he's traded. I'm not saying that about Zion, but it's like, dude, people like it when you're out there. People cheer for you. When you play, you play well. So what if you go out there and you don't put up monster numbers? No one is expecting you to go out and be the next LeBron James. You might think that that's what the, the mindset is, but some things that people, pro athletes, everyone needs to realize something. Other people do not care about you nearly as much as you think they do. They really don't. Everyone is so caught up in their own thing that they do not care that much about you. You might turn on TV or go on social because you're very popular and you get in the mentions and you got eight different jabronis who are sitting on their couch with nothing going on in their lives firing a shot at you, and to you it feels like the world's coming at you. The reality is it's not like that. Go outside, take a deep breath, Mix it up with some people and go play some basketball. If you're physically up to it, go play some basketball. People would love to see you out there, and they'd like to see you out there again. And if you're the Pelicans, you don't even consider trading this guy because it's going to be pennies on the dollar. 
Worst investment imaginable. You got to work with him. You got to get him back out there. And if he's playing well again, we get those 25 and 12 nights, then look to flip him. Flip him for something. Don't flip him for nothing. You you may, you bring up an interesting point, though, when it comes to trading Zion, because I was listening to Bobby Marks today. He was on Fitz and Harry, our ESPN front office insider. And Bobby was explaining that Zion's contract is much more team-friendly than people realize. In fact, the Pelicans could kind of get out of that contract now if they wanted to. They're not going to, obviously, with everything no. that they've invested into Zion Williamson. But it is actually movable in a way that you wouldn't expect it to be, because typically Typically, if you saw the price tag of his contract, there ain't no way somebody's trading anything for that right now because obviously, is he even going to play on the court? However, the way that it's team-friendly, maybe it is movable. Here's Bobby Marks. The contract is set up where we're protected in the future, right? Whether it's been the weight clauses in there, where it's the games clauses, like it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous contract of value because – the organization is protected in the last three years of it here where they can basically walk away right now and basically owe him a third of what of what that $194 million is. I did not realize that. So credit to the Pelicans for structuring it that way. And you heard there the weight clauses. Yeah. There is some concern with Zion Williamson in terms of how much effort does he put into taking care of his body? What impact does that have on all of the injuries? And those seem like real concerns. But it seems like the Pelicans did something to protect themselves. They're not going to give up on him yet, though. Smart. Well, there's been a ton of injuries. There's been a ton of risk. If you, I don't think they were due to have to pay him that right away. I think they wanted to. They want to make him happy. They want him in the fold. But on the other side, there's got to be concessions, considering all the games he's missed due to injury. Maybe we go down this rabbit hole. There are provisions in the contract clauses about what his weight is. So he gets hurt. He puts on a lot of weight. And now, even though he physically can play, he doesn't necessarily want to come back. Why? Because maybe he's five pounds over that. Maybe he's 10 pounds over that threshold. And if he goes out there and he doesn't play well and he violates that clause in the contract and then that leaks, suddenly he's got a huge issue on his hands. I would imagine all the pro athletes, no matter what sport they're in, saw what happened to Kyler Murray and the clauses in his contract. And now he got dragged, absolutely dragged all summer long because there were clauses in the contract about study time, about literally study time because he has an issue with video games, they say, when it comes to Call of Duty, for crying out loud, which it's fascinating. If you look at the release of when Call of Duty comes out and his performance in the games before that and after, it is a stark contrast. Like his that's, performance that's crazy. late in the that's, season when that game comes out. It, it's We followed it in the betting industry because it was like a lock of a bet, believe it or not. But that, that might be a thing. Maybe he doesn't want to get out there because he's got to get on a scale. And if he gets on the scale and he's too heavy and doesn't play well, suddenly now the organization has a hell of a lot of leverage when it comes to his money. It's interesting. It's a interesting situation, but one that it seems like the Pelicans have at least put some protections. There's no way when you draft a guy with the number one overall pick with those expectations, no matter what you have in that contract, that you're not going to lose if it doesn't pan out, right? If he doesn't pan out in the league, ultimately, if he can't stay on the court, it's still going to end up being a bad pick for the Pelicans and bad that they ended up paying him eventually the money that they paid him, but at least they put some protections in place so it won't completely ruin their franchise moving forward. Joe and Amber is on ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance for a job that you'll love. Visit Progressive.com slash careers. Coming up next, we transition 
to who's under the most pressure in the NBA this postseason. We are in the midst of the play-in tournament all week long. We've got another doubleheader coming at you on ESPN Radio tomorrow night. That means no Joe and Amber tomorrow night. All right, we said, you know what, NBA, like occasionally – We'll give you your shine. So we arranged it with them. We're going to let them have some attention tomorrow night. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. This is the Joe and Amber podcast. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. Kevin Winter just did that to infuriate me. That was directed straight at me, Joe Fortenbaugh. Kevin Winter, of course, (laughs) doing our Sports Center updates. He made the snarky remark about the attendance for the Miami Heat. It was unnecessary. The game is not even tonight. He decided to just look ahead pretty inexplicably, I think, just to take that shot at the Miami Heat and their attendance, which is completely amiss, by the way. It is a national talking point. It has always been one. Haters gonna hate. This used to drive us crazy when I hosted a local show on the flagship of the Miami Heat for so many years. And so I saw Kevin Winter tweet this out the other day during the actual play-in game. We don't, we don't need to talk about that game, obviously. But Kevin Winter no, tweeted Miami's out, you know. No, Miami terrible in that game. Dozen, okay, thanks. Uh, dozens in attendance, you know, with the Heat in Miami. And I started beefing with Kevin Winter on Twitter because I wrote him back, sent him the screenshot of ESPN attendance records for 2023. Guess where the Miami Heat are? In the top five, third, I believe. How about that? In terms of attendance, which, by the way, they're always top five, quite literally always top five. It is a very tight. They used to have the record for the most sellouts for a million years. And I'd still hear people nationally on ESPN talking bleep about the attendance in Miami. Isn't that the franchise that had that failed FTX venture as the naming rights? And then they had to abandon that. They were just like Miami heat arena for a while because of that. These are the, yeah, but now they have a naming rights, but that's not that's not right. Miami's okay. fault. That's not the might. Well, it might be the city of Miami. I mean, there's a lot of those kind of individuals that get into business down in the city of Miami. The point is, it's not the Miami Heat's fault. They got no, of course not. I was just following people. up. I mean, we're talking about the Heat, so I figured I'd bring that up. Ooh, I Kevin found that Winter should go hang out. We're gonna get to the sound that we need to react to, not the Kevin Winter sound, uh, the other sound that we need to react to here from the last 24 hours or so. But first, Joe's gonna try to earn you some money, honey. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Find us a radio show in all the land that makes you money like we do, and I'd love to talk to them because we're on a heater. We had our last show on Tuesday, 3-1 and one, plus 1.9 units, so the show as a history, 80 wins, 66 defeats, but more importantly, plus 25.75 units. You are up if you're following our action. First pizza money Only pizza money tonight that will feature a game played tonight. The rest will cover Friday or the weekend because we do not have a show tomorrow. This is at 8.07 p.m. Eastern. It's on the ice. It's the Colorado Avalanche puck line, which means we're laying one and a half goals, which means Colorado has to win by two or more against Winnipeg. The juice is minus 115. 
This is all about the situation. Winnipeg locked up a playoff spot. They are the last playoff spot in the Western Conference. There's nothing that can happen tonight that's going to change their playoff seating. So they are going to take it easy, in my opinion. They had to go 7-3 and three down the stretch to get into the playoffs. This is their fourth game in six nights. Rest and relax and enjoy yourself. Meanwhile, Colorado playing to lock up the top seed in the Central Division. They are 14-2-1 over their last 17 games with a plus-27 goal differential. They are on fire. They have something to play for. Winnipeg has nothing to play for. Avalanche roll. Puck line, minus 1.5, minus 115 over the Jets. They said it, but what did they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber. There may be the fourth seed in the West, but the Phoenix Suns are a legit title contender, and our Brian Windhorse thinks that it's a member of that that. Let's rewind. You'll Let's get that. Rewind, Joe. I'm going to try this again. They may be the fourth <laughs> seat in the West, but the Phoenix Suns are legit title contenders. And our Brian Windhorse said that it's a member of the Suns team that is under the most pressure this postseason. Nailed it. The ball is going to get funneled to Chris Paul and whoever the fifth starter is on the court. And so Chris is going to be under pressure, especially in late game situations, to deliver clutch shots i can you can see it clear, clear as day happening he knows it he's been preparing for it since the trade happened which is one of the reasons why he's been shooting these threes with such confidence and so this the, the sun's playoff run is not going to be defined by chris paul but i promise you there's going to be several different moments where he's going to have his hand on the on the on the controls which is the way he likes it and it's going to define whether it goes one way or the other so definitely Chris Paul's got a lot on the line in this next two months. Kevin Winter has me worked up. That's why I'm tripping over my words. Harry Black is filling in for James Steele tonight. Hello, Harry. How's it going? See, when you were stumbling over that, I thought, wow, I must have typed this up terribly. Then I was reading along with you and thought, no, no, I typed nope, it up pretty well. No, just can't talk. Yep, nope, no, you were just fine. Florida girl at it again. All right, so what do you guys <laughs> think of what Brian Windhorst had to say about Chris Paul? Does he have the most pressure on him this postseason? Who are you addressing? Joe. Let's go with you first, Joe. All right. So does he have the most pressure? No, because I don't – when I look at pressure, the way I see it with these questions, who has the most to lose, right? Like what guy, if he doesn't come through, is going to get raked over the coals for it? And I don't think that's going to happen to Chris Paul. If they flame out, what's going to happen? We're going to talk about how Chris Paul's never won a championship. We've been doing that for years. We're going to talk about how Chris Paul didn't show up in the playoffs. We've been doing that for years. He had that great run in Houston, and then he had the hammy injury, and he was doing the mocking of Steph, and then the Warriors came back and got him. Paul's a Hall of Famer. He's the point god. He's had a legendary career. But if he flames out in the postseason, it's not going to be any new narrative for him. That's already the narrative. If he wants to change the narrative, he's going to have to step up huge. But I still think it's Jokic. If you're talking about guys that have a ton to lose, it's Jokic because he's got a one seed. He's got a healthy team. They're taking away his third MVP from him. They're giving it to Embiid. If he flames out of this thing early, he is going to get crushed, in my opinion. I agree wholeheartedly with Joe because as long as we have been talking about the fact that CP3 needs a championship, the reality is I think the conversation's gone on so long that even if he was to win one, I'm not sure much changes in terms of the evaluation really of his career, especially if he does it with Kevin Durant joining the team. It'll be like, okay, well, yeah, he finally got one and that's great, but 
is it going to mean that people think he's that much greater of a player at this point in his career? It'll be like, no, it's nice that he finally got one and KD joined the team and he was able to get something he should have frankly gotten a long time ago. I think in terms of evaluating where he is though, in the list of NBA players, I mean, he wouldn't, I don't think it changes dramatically or changes frankly at all. Also, if he gets bounced from the playoffs, it's like, all right, we're used to that. He's a Hall of Famer either way, just like Joe said. I think that either Jokic or Joel Embiid has a lot more pressure on him. Joel Embiid, I think, coming through a season that we believe he's going to have an MVP to his name. Can he finally deliver? Doc Rivers, that we're talking non-players, probably has a whole lot of pressure on him. I think there's a lot of people who have more pressure, frankly, than CP3 at this point. The Tampa Bay Rays are off to a historic start, winning their first 13 games of the season. What does Rays outfielder Harold Ramirez think of their hot start? 13-0. How relentless has this team been, and what's been the key to making history? That's a very good history for us. I feel excited to be on this team, and we have to keep going. We have to keep playing hard. We have to keep doing our job. Okay, so maybe not the greatest audio there, but the question still remains. Are the Tampa Bay Rays a legitimate threat to win the AL? Amber. I mean, they they just started off 13 and 0. I mean, it's it's a 13 and 0 start that has hasn't been done since what 1987, I believe. 1982, the Atlanta Braves, 1987, the Milwaukee Brewers, the only longer opening streak was a 20 and 0 start in 1884 by the oh, St. Louis that? Maroons of the Union Association. Joe, you remember them well. Shouldn't even count. So, how can you not consider this team a legitimate threat? Obviously, it is very, very early. But yes, of course, they look like one of the best teams. I mean, the Rays The Rays should always be taken seriously because they have a very smart front office. They're very savvy from an analytics standpoint. They're very savvy from an, 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 a player evaluation standpoint. We just saw them in the World Series a few years ago. It's not a fluke. If they were in an easier division, we'd see much more of them in the postseason. They've always got talent. The problem, though, is you have to look at this 13-game winning streak and you have to ask yourself, wow, how impressive is this? All right, to win 13 in a row is impressive no matter what. But keep in mind, nine of those wins came against the A's, the Tigers, and the Nationals, three of the absolute worst teams in the business, three teams that aren't even trying to win. The A's don't even care about winning. They don't even care about anything other than the check they get at the end of the season. So, yes, nice streak, 13-0. and I predict that it comes to an end this weekend. You're playing a legitimate team in Toronto. You're on the road. You will not sweep the Blue Jays. It's not just that they're off to that 13-0 and start, though. They've been incredibly dominant. They've won all but two of the games by four or more runs. They've outscored opponents 101-30 to with the most runs in the big leagues and the fewest allowed. They are in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. The Texans have been searching for their franchise quarterback since the departure of Deshaun Watson, but is there a chance that they don't take a quarterback with the number two overall pick? Adam Schefter says, don't dismiss the possibility. Bryce Young slated to be the favorite number one Carolina. Then Houston's on the clock, and what does Houston do? And it becomes interesting if Houston decides to auction off that pick to somebody who wants to come up and trade for a quarterback at number two, or whether Houston wants to go with a quarterback of its own, or whether Houston wants to go with one of the top defensive players. All I'm saying is, 
I don't think it's a lock that Houston is going to quarterback at two. That's all I'm saying. Amber, how foolish would the Texans be not to go with a quarterback at number two? Uh, They would be foolish, especially if they stay at number two, if they don't love any of these quarterbacks and they think that they're still going to be bad enough to be at the top of next season's draft, then fine, go ahead and trade back. But you'd be incredibly foolish to stay at number two and take a defensive player or any of these other highly touted players off the board. However, I think that they're not foolish in what I would theorize is feeding Shefty a little information to put it out in the universe. Like, hey, we haven't really decided who we're to. Maybe it's not a quarterback because they're trying to throw everybody else off, apparently, and maybe even field some trade offers to see what their options are. The reality is I think the Texans stay at two, and I think they take a quarterback. Not foolish at all. Not foolish at all. This franchise has been a dumpster fire the last few years. So you bring in a new head coach in D'Amico Ryans. If you trade back or take a defender at two, okay? If you don't take a quarterback, you're not really starting the clock on D'Amico Ryans' era yet, right? You're giving him a year to get organized, to evaluate the personnel he's dealing with, cut ties with some of the loose ends that don't work, build up the roster, get another good player with the number two overall pick. And then if you stink, you can hit the draft again next year and maybe get Caleb Williams from USC or Drake May from North Carolina. Joe Fordenball prediction for the draft. I want everyone to lock this down right now. This is just a prediction. It's nothing more, but I'm going to call it here first. Raiders trade up to two. Raiders trade C.J. Stroud, quarterback Ohio State. That's the official prediction of Joe Fornball with what happens at pick number two. See, that would be fine, and that would be smart. I don't have a problem with the Texans saying, hey, we don't necessarily need to take a quarter or take a quarterback in the top five in this draft. Let's go ahead and trade back. D'Amico Ryans is a defensive-minded coach. We could take the best defender in the game, but at least trade back a couple spots because you don't need to sit there at two in order to get the best defender off this draft board. I think it would be silly of them not to trade back. I don't necessarily think it's silly of them to consider not taking a quarterback, though, with their top pick. I could understand that. Don't forget, Ryan's also had that long contract that he negotiated with them. He's given himself quite a bit of time here to build things yep. out in with the Houston Tech. I think his contract's, what, seven years or something like that. He, he demanded that they give him the time, so he will get the time. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, we're also getting the time. The Giants locked up their franchise running back this offseason, or did they? That's what we'll do with our time next. Joe and Amber is on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Some big stories in the NFL that we need to hit on. But first, Joe's going to do what he does best. Pizza money number two headed your way. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. First one we gave you is the Colorado Avalanche tonight on the puck line. Minus one and a half over the Jets. This one is tomorrow night. Amber, cover your ears. It's the Chicago Bulls plus five and a half over the Miami Heat. Not trolling her. Not trolling her at all. Be careful. Just passing along the information. I simply feel that this point spread is too high. These two teams played each other three times this season. All three times Miami was favored. All three times Chicago won. And they won those three games by an average of 10 points per game. Now, the Miami Heat are known for playing good defense. We didn't see much of it against Atlanta. It seemed like the (laughs) Hawks had wide open shots everywhere. But the Bulls statistically have a better defense than Miami. And I also think Chicago is a matchup problem with how they can score on the interior. Keep this in mind. Atlanta had a terrible night 
from deep against Miami. They were 10 of 41 in that game. That's 24%. And they still won the game by 11 points. Imagine if Chicago's hot. So maybe my Amber's Miami Heat can win this game, but just don't win it by six or more points. Pizza money number two, Bulls plus five and a half. I hate this. Odell Beckham Jr. announced on Instagram that he is signing with the Baltimore Ravens. A one-year deal said to include $15 million guaranteed. If this was four years ago, that's great. It spells of desperation. So some will call it desperation, no matter what you call it. Odell Beckham Jr. is, in fact, a Baltimore Raven. Now, there's been a lot of theories, Joe, about what that means for Lamar Jackson. Well, about halfway through Odell's introductory press conference, he was asked whether he had any concern about signing with a team that he didn't necessarily know who was going to be under center for. Here is OBJ about his discussions with Lamar. Didn't get any assurances for anything. You know, life's uncertain. We don't we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day. Uh, we only know what's happened in the past. So to me, it just was excited about the possibility of that. You know, my thoughts would be that he would be here. I know that these two want him to be here. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's going to be up to them. So he was not given any assurances. Now he does say that he hopes that he'll be there. He went on to say that the goal was to come here and have the possibility to play with him. According to sources, Lamar Jackson was involved in the recruitment of OBJ, but kind of a strange situation there, Joe, to hear there's no assurances. Or, and this is just a quick counterpoint, maybe there were assurances and he's just protecting Lamar on the back end. Like think about if he comes out and says something like this. Because I'm sure he was asked. I don't know if we had the question there. I heard the answer. I'm not sure if there was a question. Maybe the question was something about Lamar. Did you get any assurances? And he sits there and goes, yep, I got an assurance. Lamar said he's going to be a Raven. Well, what does that do to Lamar's negotiating position (laughs) with the Ravens, right? Like, Beckham understands the business. He understands the game. He's not going to put his guy in a tight spot. So maybe they had some discussions. I would imagine whatever Jackson said to him, you know, he's probably not revealing everything. But they probably had a discussion about, where things sit, likelihoods, percentages, things like that. And then Beckham's going to go out there, the professional that he is, and he's going to make sure he doesn't put potentially his his next starting quarterback in a bad light. So I know there's a lot of ways to try to read into these things. I don't think this is any indication that Jackson isn't coming back. Just like I didn't think, you know, the other day it was a massive endorsement that he was coming back. It looks like it. It feels like it. Because don't you think at this point we would have had at least one suitor show up in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes like the most we've gotten is Chris Ballard the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts saying they weren't ruling him out that's it for a guy who's won an MVP at this age I understand there's injury concerns but like come on he's talented enough some people question with the sale of the Washington Commanders like could they get in the you know you want to make a big splash like the Phoenix Suns get get sold and then immediately Kevin Durant is now a Phoenix Sun, you know, so you come in sometimes as an owner, you want to make a big splash. That's your way to make a big splash. I know that's one of the theories out there. I tend to agree with you. I think the market doesn't seem very ripe, I think, in part because it feels like the Ravens and Lamar are going to find some sort of way to work this out. It's obviously why they handed OBJ so much money, but I also do believe OBJ when I'm sure Lamar wasn't like given absolutely I am coming there because at the end of the day, money talks. Money talks to Saquon Barkley as well. He's refusing right now to sign the franchise tag with the Giants. Are you surprised that right now, anyways, he's holding out? I mean, he wants a long-term deal. We see this thing every year, so no big surprise. I would say this, though. 
Brian Dable, head coach of the Giants, you better get control of this thing. You got your quarterback getting paid. Now all of a sudden your star running back doesn't want to show up. This team may have jumped. They may have popped a little too soon. They might be getting a little bit high on their own supply with those victories they came up with last year. They got to remember something. Analytically, they are poised for regression. Their schedule will be more challenging. If it is not all hands on deck to continue this rebuild, they are going to have a serious problem next year. It makes sense from the running back perspective that you would hold out to try to get the deal because long-term deals are real important at that position. Also makes sense for the Giants, though, that they'd be trying to franchise tag that player and that they were more comfortable giving a quarterback a longer-term deal. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, we'll take a look at the wild, wild west in the NBA. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. This has been the Joe and Amber Podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.